You know, I think God's, in our minds, redefining what prophecy is as well. Because, you know, so often we've just limited prophecy to this individual word that a person has, rather than seeing prophecy as the entire scripture of God being declared into the earth. And so there is so much prophecy for us to come into. And because we're to come into it and God loves us so much, he wrote it down that we would know the prophetic word of God, the prophetic book, the person who is prophetic Jesus, the testimony, everything Jesus has accomplished, which is already finished, is the spirit in which one prophesies. So one is to preach and declare the knowledge of Christ that you have through the testimony of what he's done in your life. That's what gives your words weight. That's what gives them power, is that it's actually the true work that Jesus has done in your life that you testify of. And so whether that's what he's done through himself, as far as you know, he reveals his word in you and to you when you prophesy, you're prophesying life. You're prophesying words that are spirit, and life like the Christ did, because you're seeing what's in the Christ, and you're declaring it because he's shown it to you, but it starts through the ability to hear. It doesn't come through just sight. Hearing, sight comes through hearing, and so there's a prophetic hearing that's required. There's a spiritual hearing that's required for the God's people to be able to prophesy a word that's living and active. It's not just yelling words off the page. It's knowing the word himself and everything that's contained in the word, and then you declare that because Paul said, I'm not a man of persuasive words. What I am is a man of power because I've come into the reality of the Christ in me. I'm seeing things through the power of revelation, and I speak those things into the earth. And those who have ears to hear will hear and receive those things by the power of the Spirit, they'll accept them, believe them, and the Word will perform a work in them. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 to 14. And it comes through the vehicle of a person. Check that out. So you and I have been called to be carriers of the eternal Word of God and to speak because we've all been given a voice into the earth, the Word that we know. Don't speak anything. Don't presume to speak of anything he has not done in you or through you, Paul said, Romans 15, 18. That's our safeguard. Declare, declare what I am showing you, the work that you know in me, but don't go outside of that framework. Why? Because you'll have no power and you may not be me. It may be your version of me. Is that clear? You and I have been called to be people of praise, prayer, prophecy, apostolic, evangelistical, teachers, shepherds of one another. How cool is that? See, God is awakening us to who we're really called to be. God is smashing strongholds in our lives of the lives that we thought we had. And he's saying, that's not life. The life you were born with is not the life I have for you. That might be the life that your mom and dad had for you. That might be the life you thought was for you. That's not the life. I've called you to a eternal life. I've called you to live above the earth. I've called you to, to be able to 
know the mysteries of the kingdom of God and speak forth of those. And yes, you may be a fireman, and yes, you may be a school teacher, and yes, you may be an accountant, yes, you may be a mum and a dad, yes, you may be a pastor, but none of those things define you. The thing that's define you in this kingdom, which is not of your world, is to be received for you to come through. So yeah, while you're a CEO, you're really a kingdom person who has kingdom wisdom living for the kingdom, not for the business that you're running. But if you are there, do it well and do it with diligence and bring my wisdom into it. But no, that's not who you are. That's not what I called you to. That's not the dream. The dream is to know me. The dream is to know the covenant. The dream is to know the inheritance for the saints. Not this temporal world that's perishing and attach yourself to those things. And I believe God is shaking and awakening us as a people to this reality, that life is more than food, guys. Life is more than clothing. Life is more than music. Life is more than money. Life is more than going on holiday. Life is more than Liverpool winning the premiership. Just. Life is more than the All Blacks. I know. God's perfect, and the round ball is perfect. Just saying. And last week, we talked about covenant, and we talked about the essentials of us understanding what a covenant is and the covenant God has made with us as his people. And we went through a series of things about what the covenant was, what it is, and God's role in it. The commitment that he makes to us, he made to us when he said, I'm making a covenant with you. And we can see the covenant throughout the entire scriptures. He made a covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant with Noah. He made a covenant, the Mosaic covenant. You can see covenant, covenant, covenant. And we looked at what it means to cut a covenant. Not so much make one, but to cut it because an animal was cut in two and blood was spilled. And his blood was spilled for you and I when he made a covenant. He cut a covenant with you and he sent his only son to redeem you and I. What a powerful, powerful thing. And tonight as we look at tonight's word, but also as we go on and continue to go on, we need to look through the lens of love. If you look through the lens of law, behavior, what I share tonight has the potential to crush you. But if you look through the lens of love, and if you hear through the lens of love, belonging, it has the power to elevate you. See, when it's always about our behavior first, we go, ah. But when it's about belonging, we go, oh. You mean that is for me? Yep. You mean that's what you've done for me so I could receive that? Yep. Do you mean you've removed all the obstacles and the boundaries that I could know that? Yep. But if you look through the lens of law, of what you're not and what you're not doing, then all of a sudden you'll spiral down. So can you look through the lens of love, hear through the lens of love, because there is a part to play in this covenant that we have. For too long, the church has just preached this one message. God loves me, this I know. Stop. And he goes, yeah, I do. And I'm looking for who loves me. And I've done everything for you to love me the way I love you. Not only that, I've done everything that you would love one another as I love you. 
And not only that, that I've done everything that you would love a lost world like I love you. And so we need to grapple and wrestle with God for God to bring us into just who we're really called to be. So then we can live the life worthy of what we've been called for. It's a high calling. Live a life worthy of the calling. How do you live a life worthy of a calling that you don't even know what the calling is? You see, through a lack of knowledge, we've called callings personal dreams. Get your own dream. Get your own epicenter. Get your own life. It's called empire building. Instead of God has a dream for us. And the plans that he has is for a nation, a people group, not individuals. But yes, he does have assignments for us all while we're here. But those assignments all are interconnected into the dream of God. So how we go through what we go through and what he get us to do will be different, but they all align to the same goal in God, which as we've been looking at, the end of this life, it ends in a marriage covenant. It ends in a marriage. And see, if the scriptures in your head, if you haven't got that down, you'll recreate what this is all about. You'll make it about gifts. You'll make it about moving mountains. You'll make it about healing. You'll make it about the lost people. You'll make it about yourself. We must see the context for God in the scriptures is a marriage covenantal relationship. And when you understand that, the scriptures come alive because the scriptures we're going to look at shine into the covenant. You go, oh my goodness, I see it now. Up until that point, because you can't see it, you're like, well, I don't know what that means. Move on. But when you can see it, it's like, oh. And you find this thing called repentance as a lifestyle. Not as a one-off thing you make. It's a lifestyle of going, Father, renew my mind so I think as you say. Because then I'm able to enter into it because I can see it. See, if someone came here and walked through the door and, and was outside and they said, oh, where's your toilets? And I said, go okay, figure it out. But by the way, we're going to blindfold you right now. And we're going to spin you around 10 times and then send you that way. Good luck. You see, all of a sudden, it's the blind, isn't it? We have a whole lot of people jump on that bandwagon. It's the blind leaving the blind. Do you know where the toilet is? No? Oh, gee, what's that? Stumbling around. Everyone's falling over. But when the blindfold comes off and you can see, you just walk straight to the toilet. Oh, there's the sign. Down the corridor, on the right. Bingo. Sight, but sight comes through the ability to hear. And so I hope you can hear tonight. Question. I think I'm going to ask this question to Sarah. What did you have for dinner last night? Okay, she doesn't know. Who wants to tell me what they had for dinner last night? Cabanara. Woo! How do you remember you had cabanara? It was quite nice. You ate it. You tasted it. You eat and taste, you remember. Don't you? You go out and have a meal and you eat it, and it's lovely, and you taste it, you remember what you had. 
Is that a fair call? Okay. You sure it's a fair call? Last week, Jesus is our covenant partner. And there were five things that I talked about that part of his covenant with us, he has done. And as a group, meaning the whole room, what were those five things? Because if we ate and tasted, we'll know what they are. If they just remained in my notes, then that's probably where they'll be. You see, when you eat food and you taste it, you remember it. Why? Because it's gone down. And you have the experience of the food you've eaten. Man, that steak. Whoa, you need to go to that place to get that steak. Man, that pasta, that fish. Those guys do the best fish in town. You want to get the best fish? Go, why? Because I tasted and I saw. Funny how it's connected, isn't it? You taste and see that the Lord is good. Do you know how good he is because you've tasted him? So here's a little bit of the challenge. This is how intentional we have to get, guys. It's no point in me talking tonight if it's just a nice message that goes out and we ain't eating it. It's a wasted meal. So let's go through what were some of the five things. Yell it out, sorry. He counted the cost. He's my disciple, see? I'm his disciple. <laughs> cool. He counted the cost. One. No one looking at notes. Okay, there was an exchange. What was the exchange? Robes, the belt, and the weapons. Good. It was a covenant exchange. What did the clothing represent? So identity, there was a shift in identity, wasn't there? Here's the shepherd's role, here's the prince's robe. Powerful stuff. Same with Jesus, isn't it? Here's your cloak of righteousness. Cool, two, three to go. He provided a covenant sacrifice. His son was the covenant sacrifice. Good, yep. Mark, there was a mark of covenant. There was a, in the hands, and we looked at that, didn't we? That Jonathan David would cut ash in the hand, created a, te- a permanent scar. You are a covenant partner of mine. And the covenant God made with us in his hands. And we talked about how that's the only man-made thing in heaven. As a reminder, not to him, but to us, of the covenant that he's made with us. He doesn't forget it. He knows exactly what he did. He doesn't need reminding. Maybe we do. And the last one. A meal, which was what, Amanda? Bread and wine. So those five things and a little bit of cheese. A little bit of Jesus. Oh, He counted the cost. He made a covenant exchange. He provided the covenant sacrifice. He bears in his body the covenant sign. He invites us to reaffirm covenant at a covenant meal. He has gone to great lengths to cut covenant with you, to bring you into covenant 
which is an unbreakable, unshakable commitment that he makes with you. I will never, ever, ever leave you, and I will be with you to the very end of the age, which is forever. Any human being made that sort of covenant commitment to you? Anyone say, yeah, I'll love you and then leave you? I won't hurt you, then they break you? I promise you this, and then it's all within a day. Oh, yeah, we'll follow you. We'll go where you go. And as soon as it gets too hard, they're gone. Anyone? Just me? Come on, join the party. It's fun. (laughs) It's really good, you know? (laughs) So what is our part to play in the covenant? In any wedding ceremony, there is an exchange of words between two parties, isn't there? What do we call those things? Vows. We make vows to one another if we're married. God has made vows to us. And he looks and says, well, you make vows back to me because it's a two-way relationship. And what's the purpose of the vows? A pledge to be with forever. It's a person saying, I promise A, B, C, D, E, F. I promise this. I will model this, live this. I will not break my promise. And I promise to work through it all things because covenant is not broken. Even if it's unto death, it's not broken in God's eyes. The son died, rose again, and covenant was not broken. It was established. And so we make these vows in the physical. And we must keep them, must we not? And it's the same with him. And so we're going to look at some of those tonight. Our faithfulness to these vows determines whether we experience the fullness of the covenant we make. Do you realize how important obedience is in the covenant? The Bible talks about blessing and cursing. If you go this way, it's a blessing. If you go that way, it's a cursing. So many Christians wonder why they're not receiving God. It's because they're being disobedient to God. They're not doing what he asks. They expect him to come over to their side of the equation. And we try and negotiate with God. Anybody else? Ah, if you do this, I'll do this. (laughs) Like, what's that? That's not covenant. That's a negotiation contract. Yeah, called love. (laughs) So God pours out his blessings on those who keep his covenantal commandments. And this is where the heat's going to get turned up a little bit. But I believe these these are the two greatest tests that every human being that says they're going to follow Jesus will face. These are the covenantal tests to see how serious you are really in your relationship with him. Now, the thing is to note that he will always be serious with you. He will always keep his part of the bargain. I'm so grateful he's so patient while he's waited for me to catch up to the covenant that he made with me. And so the first one is the relational test. Who do 
you and I really love? Who do we love? Parable of the virgins. So the parable of the virgins is about love. There were ten virgins, five foolish, five wise. The question he asked, and we look at the scripture tonight, is who do you love? The second test is the missional test. Who will you walk with and live for? These are the covenantal aspects of our marriage covenant with him, the parable of the talents. What I've given you, what are you doing with them? I buried them. I used them to build my own life. What are you doing? So there's the relational and the missional. And ultimately, one defines the other. There are plenty of people on the missional test. But we're going to look at tonight, unless it's done in his name and in his way, it's still you. Unless you lay your lie down, he says, for my sake, you're actually laying it down for your sake, which is not you're failing the missional test, even though you might think you're doing it well. And just because you see certain things happen doesn't make it in me. Because you have a gifting and a calling and you can see things happen because they are irrevocable. Lord, Lord, we prophesied, we cast out demons, we moved and operated in the gifts of the Spirit. We just didn't have the fruit of the Spirit because we weren't in love with you. Oh, who are you? Only those that do the will of God enter the kingdom of heaven, it says. That's the key in all that passage. But I thought, the, I thought the will of God was healing the sick and raising the dead and preaching the gospel. Well, that's part of it, but if it's defined by you, that's not it. Because they did it, and they hear away from me. I don't know you. Only those who do the will of God enter the kingdom of heaven. So if it's just about doing signs and wonders and preaching the gospel, how do those people hear that? Because it's not. But those things are part of the message, but they're not the message. The greater message is who do you love? Because you need to fall in love with me to discover how I do everything. Because I do nothing from my own initiative, Jesus said. Holy Spirit said, I don't speak from my initiative. I only speak the words of the one who's given me the words. Hence, I need to hear those words. Otherwise, they're my words. And nothing's going to happen if it's just me up here speaking. Because there's no power in Greg's words, but there is power in the words of the Lord. And so these are the greatest tests in our covenant can you see marriage in those things? Can you see marriage? I didn't marry Danielle that we could do stuff together primarily. I married her because I fell in love with her. And out of love, we do some things together. Too many people are in number two, and number one is just lip service. We talk about relationship, but we don't do it. We talk about it, but we don't do it. And we just give it lip service. But because we say it, it sounds like we do, but can you discern the fact of the true state of the heart? See, the Bible says you honor me with your words, but you remove your heart from me. And those two things are actually one position. So it's not one and two, it's one. But they are blended and integrated together. But can you see them in him and know that you are flowing in the covenant that he made with you? And we must do that together. That's why God has put us together with giftings to walk together. Cannot be a lone ranger, and you can't be an island out there on your own saying you don't need the body of Christ. You do. 
and you're in serious, dangerous ground if you don't think you need a body. Serious deception. And so, you ready for this? (laughs) Everyone's going, I don't know now. (laughs) Remember I told you, you need to listen to this through what? The lens of love. If you hear love, you'll, you'll be running to this. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Okay. All right. Matthew 10. Let's go there. We're going to look at about four or five passages just in relation to this that won't be behind me, but I'll read them out so you can write them down. Matthew 10. We're going to take our time. Matthew 10, 34. And I want you to think when you hear this passage, because what what is the, what, if you look at the relational test, what is the passage of Scripture that speaks the loudest, the relational test? No. no, no. What's, What's the most powerful passage that speaks to the relational test? Sorry? No. No, that, that, no, no. No, These are the words of Christ. Okay, so the great commandment, the great commandment is the most defining scripture that talks to the relational test, doesn't it? Who are we to love? Him. Not others, not ourselves, him. With what? Half, quarter, a sixteenth? All. So this stuff makes you look in the mirror. When you really start to allow what I'm saying to permeate you, it really gets you like, uh, if it's not doing, uh, can I say you haven't heard it? And I would seek the spirit till you get the, uh, stop. When he showed me this, it stopped me. Bang! Uh, what's that? It's me. And I went, when the final vision came, the picture saw the boat went bang, different direction, different way, different leadership. Everything's going to have to change if you want to set the course to what I'm showing. Okay, so think in your mind, great commandment, great commandment, great commandment. Okay, all right, here we go. (laughs) This is exciting. Three words, do not think. (laughs) That's enough. (laughs) Do not think. See, God's given us a mind, but a mind that's not renewed is dangerous. Dangerous. Because it will tell itself it can come to know God. It'll tell itself, I can understand this. It'll tell itself, I can come to this revelation without you. Do not think. Do not think what? Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to come to bring peace, but a sword. Don't you like the word sword? S-W-O-R-D, a spiritual word. I came to bring a sword that would Cut. I didn't come to bring peace. You've made me out to be this little lamb. 
you may be able to be this person that sort of floats on the clouds and just sort of, well, if you like, you can do this or you can do that. See, I've come to bring a sword. Is he the lamb? Yes. Is he a lion? Yes. Do you know when the lion speaks and the lamb speaks? But ultimately, they're a lion-lamb. He's a lamb-lion. He's one God. But he's long-suffering, but he's disciplining. You see, when he's the lamb, he's long-suffering. But when he's disciplining, he's a lion. And the roar of the lion of Judah roars to get your attention. He's roaring tonight. But see, here's the thing. If I had a pet lion and I knew him and he walked in right now and he walked in the door and you don't know him, what are you all going to do? And I'm like, come here, come over here. And he just come over and we cuddle and have a cuddle. And, that's and you are, you're gone. Why? Because you don't know the lion. I know the lion. And you look on the outside and you think, that can't be right. No, come on, lion. But if a little lamb walked through the door, oh, isn't it cute? Oh, come here, give you a cuddle. And then we'll offer you for a sacrifice. No. <laughs> he says, do not think. Don't use your mindset. Your ways are not mine. Your thoughts are not mine. My ways are so higher than the way you think about family. My ways are so higher than the way you think about money. My ways are so higher about identity, purpose, dreams, plans, business, everything you think. Don't think you know it until I reveal it because you don't know it. The mind is not the place of understanding It's the Spirit of God. Jesus makes that clear, and we still resist and reject that place because we are pride-filled. And I am not saying he has not given us a mind to understand him. He has, but it is not first off the rank. It is third in the the very divine order that God gives the great what? God does not make mistakes. Everything he does is specifically for a purpose so we can come into life. And that area needs to be repented of. The mind of Christ is a renewed mind by the power of the Spirit. It starts in the Spirit, and the Spirit brings understanding to the mind. Then I can see it because I now have the mind of Christ. People say, I got the mind of Christ. I say, good, tell me about the things that eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, has not entered your heart. Go. And they look at you blankly. Come on, if you're going to say you got the mind of Christ, go. Because it's connected where Paul said, you know what? Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, has not entered the heart of man. All that God has for what? Those who love him, but it's been revealed in the spirit, been revealed to me. Us, he says. So I write a whole book. So if you're going to quote and claim you've got the mind of Christ, talk to me. Tell me. You should be up here teaching. Can you see what I mean? We say these nice things and they're cute. And then live it out then. And there's a wrestle. Here, love, guys, I'm trying to, there's a wrestle for it. You can't quote it if you don't have it. Now, you've got the potential to have it, and God wants to bring it, and it's a process. But the church for too long has just thrown out scriptures, and you go, well, then live it out then if you've got it. Come on and tell me what they are, because I'm hungry. I want to learn. So tell me, I want to receive from you the things that you have seen in the spirit that are the invisible realm, the things that you've heard that are in the invisible realm, the eternal. Come on, tell me. 
Yeah, I thought so. So let's get back to the place of humility. Let's get back to the true place of hearing by the Holy Spirit. And then maybe we can walk it out together and not think we're better than one another. or We have more than one another. Maybe just then the Spirit would rock up because he sees the heart of humility of a church that knows it's so dependent on God for anything. Because apart from me, you can do everything or nothing. Nothing. You see what it does? It brings you, it takes out, and you find yourself on your knees. But you're actually standing up. Because you're a sinner born again to be a saint, but a saint who knows the way of his father or her father. Why? Because you don't think. (laughs) You don't think you got it all down. You don't think. And here I'm saying you're called to think, but not until your mind's been made. So don't think you got it all together. Don't think I came to bring peace. For I came to bring a sword. You ready? For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies, you ready for this? Will be the members of his, what? Put my glass on, make sure I read that right. And the man's members, enemies, sorry. <laughs> and the glasses were on. <laughs> and the man's enemies will be the members of his household. Are you living a life that's upsetting those closest to you? <laughs> now, I'm not saying you're going there to upset them. That's not your intention of your heart, but the fact that you're living a life of covenant starts to upset those closest to you. Why? Because you start to be called out from maybe the family unit you were part of. See, it actually starts, the closest enemy is your household. It's those closest to you. We think it's ISIS. No, it's not. It starts here. It's called the church. They were the ones that nailed him to a cross, his own people. And the battle is between flesh and spirit, not with one another, but with flesh rages. That's where the war is. That's where the real war is, between flesh and spirit. But what do we make it? No, we make it about the enemy, which then we justify the flesh away and go, oh, that's my personality type. Really? Oh, okay. So he's saying, don't think to carry peace. I've come to separate. I've come to consecrate. I've come to, look, I'm not, he's not saying, oh, yeah, Maddie over there, Lily over there, Dad over there. He's saying, but what I'm looking for is a people of the spirit. And my word will come and it will cut the difference between flesh and spirit and it will divide. And we, if we are really in truth, more and more, will experience persecution from those closest to you. Your wife, your husband, your children, your in-laws, your outlaws. Your mum, your dad, your church, your friends, anyone who's trying to hold on to their flesh when the truth turns up to the measure it's in and starts talking in a way that threatens the flesh will cause some sort of response. 
Now, the reality is most people just do this. See you later. And they walk away from the relationship. That's what most people will do. Those that are really committed and passionate and obsessed, they'll try and kill you. They'll try and take you out. And then say, love you, brother. Love you, Shirley. And while you're walking away, have another one. Why? Because their flesh, their humanity, their insecurity, their lack of identity causes them to respond. And one who's in this doesn't walk away from them. They love on them and they pray for. And they're actually able to be murdered and stand there and smile and love. Why? Because of the covenant they've come into through the great commandment. Because of the life they've come into, which we're going to look at in Matthew. Through keeping the word, the commandment, the covenantal relationship that Jesus said is possible. It's a high calling. Now, I want to show you something. So let's go to 2 Timothy 3.10. And this is probably, hopefully will open your eyes and cause a conviction. Two Timothy three ten. Once again, this is Paul. Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance. Two Timothy three ten. Persecutions and sufferings. Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith. Patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Now here we go in verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you're living godly, expect to be persecuted. If you're not living godly, don't expect to be persecuted. You won't be. So as we come into the covenant we're in and we come into truth, your heart's not to offend, but you will offend because the standard to which you now live is so different from those you're in relationship with. And they'll wonder why you want to live different because you go, because I'm being disconnected from you and the things that we once were as a family unit. And now I'm getting connected to the one who actually created me and living here and I'm living for him. And he asks much, but he loves much and I want to give him all. But that's not fair. And we have to figure out with wisdom how we actually live that out. But you're called to live it out, and you will be persecuted by everyone and anyone you're in relationship with when you speak truth. Because the truth that comes to set you free is the same truth that offends and repels. When people are trying to hang on to themselves, if there is not a genuine work done of the word, of the spirit of humility, you will offend that person. 
Your intent's not to. You don't go into everything trying to offend people. But don't think I've come to bring peace. Don't think it's all happy families. I'm looking for my family. And I have made a covenant. I've cut a covenant. And I will have what I'm looking for. I will. Now, it's whether we want to be part of what he's looking for and what he's always been looking for or not. And he goes on and then he says this. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy. Sorry, we're back in Matthew 10, 37 now. He who loves father or mother more than me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me, is not worthy of me. Here's the first relational test. You could add yourself in there as well, because ultimately the reason why you love others more is because you love yourself so. There's only two gods. One's a big G, one's a little G. And so he says, he says it so clear. Does everyone understand that plainly? You don't have to need the Hebrew and the Greek to get that one, do you? So he tells us simply, it's, but can you see it? Can you hear it? In a way that it's like, <clears throat> that. Oh, no, that's not me. That doesn't apply to me. No, it applies to us all. He who loves father or mother more than. See, more than. He's not saying don't love them, but if you have them at a higher place in your heart, then I'm second to that. Grandchildren, children, idols. If you have idols, idolatry, People who have idols don't enter the kingdom. Kingdom starts here. I'm not going to share my glory with you. So the kingdom life comes. The stuff in there has to come out through my power. Otherwise, you can't have the kingdom in, kingdom in you, but it won't grow in form. Why? Because you've got idols in there. I need to come and tidy it all up. Well, I can't do that. God, that's right, you can't, but you can through repentance and ask me to actually sweep the house clean through my power, through receiving your word. So he's saying you're not worthy. You know what the word worthy means? This is not a heaven and a hell thing. This is a reward thing. Remember? The covenant, he's washed you of your sin. This is not whether you're going to heaven or hell. This is whether you're going to marry and be faithful and obedient to the covenant that you said you're in. See? You can see why sanctification is so important, can't you? Not justification sanctification, allowing God to sanctify us through the power of his spirit and his word. The word worthy, those who are prepared and fit. Those who are prepared and fit. The bride has made herself ready. You are fit, prepared. You went through process called Christ. The way, the truth, and the life. Let's just go to uh, Matthew twelve forty six. This is a one of those moments. Do not think the natural is greater than the spiritual. 
Matthew 12, 46. While Jesus was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. Someone said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? How many of us are from a tight-knit family? I am. What would happen if you went around and said, who's my brother? What do you mean? Who's my brother? My younger brother, he is very, very passionate about the Simnor family. He's so loyal. You don't mess with the Simnor, otherwise you'd have Martin to deal with. <laughs> he's really like, see the covenant sign? You mess with him, you mess with me. And he's a little bit, he's redeemed now. But, <laughs> but you don't want to mess with my younger brother. See, he is. Got this family thing. Family's so important. And I share with him and I say, oh, it's not as important as what it is to follow the Lord. And he struggles with it. Because physical family, it's about physical family. You mess with physical family, you mess with physical family. Blood is thick in the water, spirit's thick in the blood. And he doesn't yet get this. And when you're from a tight-knit family, all of a sudden you'll start living for a higher order. You know the culture of that home and the culture of maybe the nation you're from. The kingdom culture has to trump all that stuff. It has to trump it. And, man, that's massive because what are you doing? You're going against our culture. No, I'm part of another culture now called kingdom because it's about Jesus' culture, kingdom, in me. And you have to figure out how you get cut from that into that and be able to deal in love with everything that's coming at you that doesn't understand what you're doing. You get persecuted for your faith. They say they will hate you because of me. They don't hate you. They hate the Christ in you because they don't understand the Christ in you, but you do. And Jesus is saying, who's my mother? Who's my brother? Imagine that. What about the woman that said, blessed are the breasts that nurse him? He says, no, you got that wrong. Blessed are those who do what? The will of my Father who are in covenant. You see, don't think it's about physical relationships. Don't think the most important thing is having marriage, meaning physical marriage with kids and all that stuff. You've got to get free of that. It's the most freeing thing to get free of everybody. Because then you're freely to love them the way Christ needs you to love them. And sometimes they have no concept of what that love even looks like. And they don't think you love them. They think you hate them. What are you doing? Where have you been? Three days we've been looking for you. Where have you been, 12-year-old boy? What did he say? How come it took you four days to figure out where I should, where, I'm, where I am? You should know where I'm going to be. He didn't quite respond like that, but <laughs> I reckon he looked at them and went, "How come, Mum and Dad, you don't know who I am? How come you don't know where I was? You've wasted three days. You should have come firstly here. You should have known I would be here." This is the first point of call. You should know. Don't you know? It was prophesied over me, and you went, yee-ha-ha-ha-hoo, ha, ha, until the prophecy came real. And as soon as the real, the prophecy came real, all of a sudden now you're a bit angry 
Why is that? Because your flesh is manifesting. Oh, we want prophecy, we want prophecy, we want prophecy. And then it turns up. Now we don't want prophecy, we don't want prophecy, we don't want prophecy. We want to hang on to self. And we resist and we reject God. And we have no concept of what we've done. And then we say, in the name of God, see ya. Oh, really? Yeah. We are great. Who is my neighbor wanting to justify himself? When he was asked, love your neighbor. Oh, who is my neighbor? Go read it. Wanting to justify himself. We are great at that, man. But see, when you're in covenant, no, that's not the way. And Jesus says, here, who is it? Let me tell you who it is. Behold my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. Those that are in covenant with me and living the life. It's Peter. It's James. It's John. It's Bartholomew. It's Barnabas. It's Paul. It's Mary eventually. It's Mary Magdalene. They are my brothers. They are my sisters. What did he say to John when he was crucified? And he looked down and saw John and his mother. Take her as your mother. Was she his mother? Not physically. But look after her. Why? Because you're spiritual family. That's way higher calling. It's a way higher calling. It's a heavenly calling. Hear me, I'm into physical family, but it's not the number one. The kingdom of God is the number one. Seek first the kingdom. Don't think it's about this, 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 and this. Get free of that. So then you're free to love that the way I ask you to love it, which at times will get you in trouble. Let's just go to, just what another scripture, Matthew 22, 8. Is this okay? Matthew 22, 8. What's the context? Parable of a marriage feast. Look at verse 5. So the invite goes out, but they paid no attention and went their way, their way, T-H-E-I-R, one to his own farm, another to his business. We were looking at this during the week out of Luke, and it said that one went, had bought land, one had an oxen, and one had just got married. And Kirk said, look at those three things. That's possession and land, physical. The second one is jobs. I've just bought an oxen for my farm, jobs. And the third one's relationship. Those are the three areas that bind us up when we're living from the flesh. We want to keep security. We want to provide for ourselves. We want to make sure we're safe. We buy houses. We buy property. We buy the things. We do them up. Nothing wrong with houses. Nothing wrong with buying land. But they're idols, they are. We, that's security, isn't it? Then we go get a job, we go buy an oxen, so we make sure our lives are functioning well and we spend a lot of time investing into our jobs and trying to increase our salary so we can keep our protection with our property. And then we go find someone to live with our lives, to share our property and our jobs with. 
And he says, seek first the kingdom. Sorry, God, I'm seeking first my property. I'm seeking first my job. And I'm seeking first my wife. Sorry, can't come to the wedding that I was invited to be at. Go find someone else. Okay, I will. Now, he's talking to the Jews here. We're going to look at Luke because it's a double side. And so you see this, but let's go down to verse 8. So Matthew 22, 8. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. They were not fit. They were not prepared. Five foolish virgins, not non-Christians. That's how we've justified the church from true conviction. Let's say they are non-Christians, then we are the wise ones. Hey, all good, but they're virgins. Spiritually, we're talking here, okay? They had the Holy Spirit. Know any non-Christians that have the Holy Spirit? No, I don't. They're not interested. They're not waiting for the Lord to come back. Any of your non-Christian friends going, when's Jesus coming back, Amanda? I want to get ready. No, they're not. He's talking to the church, the disciples, us. Are you ready? Or are you too? Thinking about your homes, thinking about your careers, and thinking about your relationships. If you love more than me, you're not fit. You won't be ready. He's not angry that you have a house. He provides these things. He's not angry that you have a job. He provides those things. And he certainly provides relationships, but not at the cost of the relationship with himself. And when you don't know how to handle those things, they get you in trouble. And he's going, ultimately, Greg, those things get in the way of our relationship. That's why I say don't love them more than me because they're going to block you from the thing you were invited to, which is called a marriage covenant. And at the end of your life and at the judgment seat, it's all going to get unfolded. And if you let these things get in your way, then at the end of that life, you won't be ready. And you won't have lived the life I called you to live, which was my life. I gave you a gift of life, and you didn't give it back to me. I gave you the gift of life, and you held on to it. See, I give you life, now lose it, and you'll find it. That's what he's saying in his scriptures, guys. There's a life that many in the church still have not yet discovered. It is not this, bless my life that I've got. It's I die to all the possibilities of what I thought I was going to be. I discover who I am in you and who you are, and then I let you define my new created life. They may align and they may look, I didn't think I was going to be doing this. Not on the month of Sundays, man. Christians were geeks. They wore socks, sandals, cardies, sung funny songs. And I'm still trying to get them into country music. I mean, that one, come on. It's like, but I was, this was not in the plan. My plan was never in radar. And then I met him. I met him. I got one to him. And then he starts to share the life he's predestined for me. 
Not the life that I was trying to live out, but the life that I was predestined. He said, God, Greg, you have a choice as to whether you want to follow the predestined life because it's not predetermined, it's predestined. You're going to determine whether you enter into the predestined life or not. But you can choose this other life, which is the pathway of football, professional sport, and all those things. By the way, I've made your knees knackered, so that's out of the question. Can you hear the difference? Predestined, predetermined. This is the lane, but you will choose whether you will discover the lane that I've called you for life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. I have created you for a relationship with me forever. And I have a purpose that I want to see established upon the earth. Will you bless me and stop asking me to bless you? Now, I will bless you to get you to that place of maturity because that's an insecure, sorry, immature place. And I work with children because I love children, but I want to grow children up into adults spiritually who now say it's about blessing you, no longer asking for blessing and stuff. But like a loving father, I will give you stuff, but come on, it's time to grow up. So do you think he's going to marry an immature little kid when she turns up? No, he's not because you need to be fit. And prepare because there's a covenant. So I give you the commandment to show you how serious I am about the heart and the state of one's heart. So then I write it in my word to tell you, here's the wedding marriage feast. I can't make it any clearer than what I'm making it. But can you hear it, see it? And if we can't, then go after it in the spirit and wrestle for it in God. Because I tell you, when you can hear it and see it, Everything will align. Like, it's called repentance. You turn and leave the old way. I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about your mind gets renewed. I used to think it was all about reaching the lost. Do not think it's about reaching the lost. I used to think it was all about reaching the lost. So I was driving people to reach the lost. Is the lost important? Yes. Is it the number one priority in God's heart? No. And he clearly tells you that, but that wasn't enough for me. It was written down, but I couldn't see it. I get a little bit excited. <laughs> Revelation 3, 4 to 5. God just wants to make this point really clear, so he's showing you in all the different books the same thing. Revelation verse 3. Four to five. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy, prepared, and fit. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to God's people. This is a letter to the church of Sardis. It's a letter for us. And there's that word, worthy, again. Now, I want to show you a picture of an MRI machine. What do these things do? 
What do they do, uh, Linda? Woo. Oh, did, you, did we all hear that? Did you hear that? Can you say that again? gives you a picture of what's inside your body and it's a 3D picture and it's sort of like layers of the internal parts and it kind of gives you lot, like slicing it up into lots of different pictures. Does the MRI scanner have an agenda? <laughs> well, it hasn't made, but it, it's not, it's not, it ha, it, there's no agenda behind it. What the agenda is, is wants to show you a photo of your inner realm. What for? So you can get well if you need healing because, uh-oh, all of a sudden, on the MRI scan shows you this disease or something that's actually going to kill you. So it has no agenda. It's just going to prove what's there. And when I was praying about this, God showed me that. He said, tell my people the great commandment is an MRI scanner. And the great commandment looks into, under, through the veneer and looks straight into the heart and sees what is truly there, not what you say is there, not what you think is even there, but what truly is there because it doesn't have an agenda. The great commandment doesn't have an agenda, like the MRI scan doesn't have a, 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 a selfish agenda. It just comes to show you so life can come. Oh, my goodness, you've got a brain tumor. We need to operate on that to get that out so you can live another 50 years with your family. Oh, my goodness, you have a child at the center of your heart. You don't love me with all you love the child more than me. I'm going to identify this in you. Why? So the child could come out so you can walk in the fullness of the covenant relationship that we have with one another. Oh, my goodness, you've got money. You've got a business. You've got sport. You've got a, you've got a wife, a child. Man, you've got 10 of these things in you that are killing you. And you're wondering why life's not coming. You're asking why, 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 why? Because you might be can't see that there's idols in your heart, but the great commandment shines the light onto the heart and goes, there you go. There's your true MRI scan. There is the image. Then you're confronted to go, I don't believe that. I do believe that. Some people, when they have these things, reject what the doctors tell them, yeah? No, I don't believe that's true. Whether you believe it or not, you don't get it sorted out, you're going to die. Fear arises up. Insecurity. No, no. The flesh response is to reject the truth and walk away because insecurity and fear sits with the flesh. And we need to be able to stand there and go, it's all good, you love me. You tell me you love me, you love me. So I can look at the true MRI scan And you know who's the best to tell you? Those closest to you that are walking with you that you've probably manifested over. (laughs) They're the ones. And if they're still with you, they're definitely the ones that you want to have the conversation with. You see, love never runs. Love stays. Love can stay because it's love because it's gone through a process and has love within it. Lust runs, and it blames while it's running. Love never does, and love's able to take 
crap after crap after crap after spew after spew and still wipe it off and go, you know what? Father, forgive for they don't know who they are. And the only reason that person's acting like that is because they don't know who they are. This is why 2 Corinthians says, don't look at them as the flesh. We don't look like Jesus in the flesh any longer. See them as who they really are, who I see them to be. And that enables you to get spewed on and spewed on and spewed on and spewed on and spewed on. Wipe it off. I'm not going anywhere. And that love and that love will eventually break that person, that hard heart down because they won't be able to figure out why you haven't bolted because they've destroyed every other relationship. All because you jumped on one of those, got a true indication and said, what, go to work on my heart. It's not about Danielle. It's not about Vera. It's not about Cena. It's not about Roy. It's not about Jay. It's about me. It's about my transformation. Number one, am I in love with God like God loves me? And so reveal in my heart, Father, the things that maybe hold me that I have no idea. Do you know, most people don't have a clue. We don't even know, but others will because they'll see it. They'll hear it come out of you. And it's just whether you've got the humility then to receive it. Now, don't do it to people that are prideful. Do it to people that are in love who have modeled the fruit and have the fruit because their love will cover, and it's probably been covering. So the relational test you know, it's fully possible to love God with all your heart. It's fully, fully, fully possible. I just want to read you. This is what I sent to Vana the other day. The great commandment addresses the issues of the human heart. The commandment reveals the true state of the human heart and what it genuinely is in love with and what and who it prioritizes. The commandment is like an MRI machine that is able to see inside our bodies and detects the health of our inner organs. The MRI scan reveals the truth or the true state of our inner life. You can't lie with the MRI scan because it is telling you the truth. You may not want to believe it or you may deny it or justify it away, all to your own detriment, but it tells the truth. It doesn't have an agenda but to reveal what is truly there. The Great Commission doesn't and isn't able to do this. The Great Commission addresses the divine works of Christ. Which one do you think many choose as their number one priority first and why? You see, it's so easy to just do works. It's so easy to just go to the second test. Why? Because it doesn't deal with any of the issues of your heart. It doesn't deal with your inner life. But here's the thing. If you don't allow the issues of your heart to be dealt with, you're more than likely going to do the relational, sorry, the missional work in your own strength, in your own power, in your own intention. If Jesus says, I can do nothing for my own initiative and I need to be able to hear his voice to be able to do everything he's asking me to do, because it's not just about being able to do it, it's about being empowered by him to do it. There's many things we can do in our own strength. We can build towers. We can bring Babels. We can, we can build churches. They're actually empires. And everyone flocks to them because they can't discern it because they just look in the physical. But it's just empty. You see, we are to be known for love as the number one thing. 
Most people want to be known for gifts. Most people want to be known for speaking on the circuit. Most people want to be known for all the things but the thing we're supposed to be known for, to be able to model. Why? Because it addresses the issues of the heart. It says it's no longer about anyone else. It's about you and me. And I'm going to look into their heart, rich, young ruler. How do I inherit? What, here's this, here's what, he said. what do I need to do to inherit a spiritual eternal life? You see, function, 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 missional, missional. What do I need to do? How do I get this eternal, spiritual, transformational life in me? You can't. Well, actually, here's the thing you need to do, Anne. You need to give me your whole heart. You need to sell everything, give it away. The things you've been working so hard for, your land, your home, you're doing it all up, that thing. Your career, your job, your this, you're working so diligently, gone to university to get ABC behind your name so you can do that. And every relationship you've done, hear me? Nothing wrong with those things. Work hard if you're in a job, work hard. But if they're defining you, it's an issue. I want to define all that before you do. You're going to give it to me? I've spent way too long trying to build myself up. Yeah, because that's because the cornerstone is still you. The foundation is still those things and not me. And he sees with x-ray 3D, he actually sends TD and he sees 10D and he sees straight into our hearts. And he saw, he saw the rich young ruler look straight into his heart and said, I love you. But there's one thing. And ultimately, it's your spirit of pride. I've got a whole lot more to say, but we're not going to get to it. Maybe I'll swap with Chris or Chris can speak it next week. So I want us to look at the first test. And the questions are more related to personal than they are, oh, that was nice, what about that? What about that? So some of the questions you might go, ooh, need to go away and think about that one, good. I mean, need to go away and process that, good. So have a look, have a chat, be real, be raw, be honest. 